0: And so the title for today's sermon is The River. And I think it's fitting today. Uh, It's rainy outside. The theme for this morning is water. It's a common theme in Scripture. Actually, we see it a lot. We see um, rivers and and waters and and wells all representing a lot of different things. Um, Or really the same thing that being grace and life that we receive through Jesus. We see it throughout Scripture This theme of water. And a few weeks ago, um, over a month ago really, um, Melissa and I, uh, you know, we were expecting to have a child. And we found out that Melissa had a miscarriage, which um, was rough to find out. I know it's an extremely common thing. It doesn't make it easy. Um, And and at that time, I was extremely busy. Um, I was um, pushing myself a lot harder than I should have, and then the miscarriage happened, and I, Melissa wasn't able to, after the surgery, wasn't able to lift Lincoln, so I was doing a lot of the parenting in the morning and the night, and working during the day, trying to work on church stuff, Esther took a lot more studying than my regular series, and I found myself at a point where I was completely overwhelmed, running way too hard, and not really having taken the time to grieve, and I really just sort of had an emotional a uh, breakdown. I had um, an anxiety attack and really wasn't in the spiritual or emotional place that I should have been. And my wife, who is a loving exhorter, called me out on it, challenged me um, pretty intensely and was like, you just need to take some time off. Like you, you can't take work off. I know that, but you can take a few Sundays off. Other people teach this church doesn't need you. It needs the Lord. Right It's not my church, it's God's church. And so we took, I took four weeks off from preaching. It wasn't a vacation. I worked every day during the week, still, but it was nice to not have that additional stress for a little time. I was able to grieve, spend some time personally in the Lord, with the Lord, learning from Him, and, and I feel refreshed, I feel excited. Um, the four messages by the four different teachers that we had this last month, I, I thought all of them were fantastic. I personally was ministered to um, really by them. Um, Each one of them was great and personally ministered to me. So I hope it was good for you guys, too. Um, And now, today, before diving right back into Esther, I want to share with you what I have learned during this time and what the Lord has just really pushed on my heart. And I think it's a message that maybe some of you or all of you here today need to hear as well. And it's out of Ezekiel 47, and we find this river and an invitation to come deep into the river let's go ahead and we're going to start in verse one this is ezekiel speaking and the man that he is um talking to and being led by i believe is is jesus in this in this vision verse one in my vision the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside of the wall through the north gate and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. So he has this vision, and this man shows him that there's this trickle of water coming from the altar and coming out of the temple and then through the gate. It's an interesting thing. And so we see that Ezekiel is having this vision about this holy temple of God. Some um, believe that this is the temple that Jesus will build during the millennial kingdom. Others believe that this is the Temple that we see in Revelations twenty-two, which is in the New Earth and the New Jerusalem, the final temple, the final place. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I've read a few commentaries. I don't have a. I personally don't have a strong opinion either way. But the theme is a temple and water coming from the altar, which represents the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So water is coming from the temple, coming from the altar specifically, and then. It's pouring out, but it's just a trickle at this point. And then verse 3, this man, he he takes a measuring rod and he comes and he says, Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and then led me across. The water was up to my ankles. So this trickle has now um, gotten deeper as they've gone 1,700 feet out, and now the water is up to his ankles. Verse 4, he measured another 1,750 feet and led me across again. This time the water was up to my knees. After another 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet, and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. Some translations say that it was so deep it could not be passed. So something very unique is happening from this trickle of water. It's getting larger and larger and larger. Normally rivers, as they keep going, they get thinner, not larger, right? Um, The water eventually starts to run out. This one, the trickle is becoming deeper and deeper and more and more water. This is not a lake. This is a rushing river. And the invitation is come deeper with me. There's a trickle here, but I want you to come to your ankles. I want you to come to your knees. I want you to come again to your waist and then to a point where you cannot touch, you are immersed in water. you can only swim now in a rushing winter, in a rushing river, river, in a rushing river, once you can't touch and there's nothing to grab on, you're really at the bending will of. The river. You just flow with it. I believe that this river represents grace. It represents the grace that is available to all of us. The invitation is the same for us. Jesus is saying, come deeper with me. A lot of times we, we want grace, but we want to start at our ankles and because we still have some control there, right? We can lift our feet easily. We can kind of react in our own free will, right? Um, we're in grace, right? But I still have a lot of choices. I can move around. I can do my own thing. But then you get to your knees, and it's a little harder to move around, isn't it? you got to lift your leg a lot farther up, farther up. gets a little harder. Then you get to your waist, and you're just wading in that water. It's a lot harder to move. And then at a certain point, the invitation for each one of us is to get so deep, In grace, immersed in grace that you are just along for the ride you're just following the will of the lord you're allowing him to take you wherever it is that he would take you you're giving up all that control you're giving up um, all of your your choices and you're saying lord i trust you it's better to be in your river being taken downstream than it is for me to be at ankle level just walking around making my own decisions but here's the thing, for most of us, that idea is a little bit scary. Even though grace is amazing, it's love, it's, it's freedom, it's it's mercy, it's forgiveness, it's amazing. We want grace. There's no one who would be like, I, I don't want any grace, but there's something a little scary about going that deep. Because in grace, God expects us to change. He, ex- he expects us to make harder decisions, to be more obedient, to confess sin, to be honest to be a humble to be a servant and so our flesh even though maybe we kind of want that grace we want that love we want that mercy we don't necessarily want to be a humble servant who gives up their own choices their own life to bear the cross and and walk in his will our flesh is going to fight against that so even though we long for this water we Every person in the world longs for grace. They, they long for mercy and love that God gives freely, but at the same time, their flesh is scared of it. I don't remember what age I was. I should have asked my parents. I, I think I was about eight or nine years old, and... My parents were missionaries. We traveled all over the world. But at one point, we were home on furlough. And my parents signed up at the local gym that had a pool. And we took swimming classes and all this stuff. And there was a high dive. Anybody like high dives? Or are you scared of them? All right? A high dive is what? Like 10 feet, I think? Um, so I would jump off the low dive all the time. Had a great time. And then I was finally like, OK, I want to jump off the high dive. This sounds awesome. This sounds great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go up there. And I got up there and got my feet to the edge, and all of a sudden, it didn't seem so fun. <laughs> all of a sudden, it was terrifying. And I'm not joking. I stood up there holding up the line for a very, very long time. It was such a long time that everyone in the pool had stopped doing what they were doing and was <laughs> cheering me on. Do it. Jump. It'll be fun. You can do it. We believe in you. <laughs> the people online, like I'm sure they were annoyed, but they're like, they're like cheering me on, mostly just because like, come on, dude, just jump. I'm trying to like do a trick or get down. But that's the thing. At some point, you either have to jump or you have to get down. And I'm ashamed to say I got done, down. And did. <laughs> I did not jump that day. The invitation is to come deeper. But we can be scared of going deeper. We can be scared of giving up our choices. We can be scared of confessing sin. We could just simply not want to get rid of certain things in our lives. We're scared that if we go deeper with Jesus, he's going to start asking us to do things that we don't want to do. And so we just kind of stay at the ankle level. We're like, I could splash around. It's kind of fun. Like, you know, Jesus is cool and all, but we can still just kind of walk around and do our thing. But The invitation is to come deeper. And there are moments in your life where, where Jesus is, you know, my dad was talking about this. He's going to put checkpoints or roadblocks in your life because he wants you to come deeper. He is not content with you staying at ang- your ankle level. He's not content with you just waiting around at your knees or at your waist. He wants you fully submersed in his grace so that he can take you down the river. Because you're not going to get far when you're just walking around. But once you're in the flow of the river, and he can do some cool things with your life. Let's read about what this river does as it gets deeper and rushes forward. Verse 6, he asked me, have you been watching, son of man? It's a really important line. We're going to come back to it, make a mental bookmark of that. Then he led me back along the river bank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. It's beautiful. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea, all the way from En Gedi to Engalem. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea, just as they fill the Mediterranean. But the marshes and swamps will not be purified. They will be, still be salty. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall. There's no seasons for these trees. And there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month. For they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. See what this amazing river is doing? What's interesting to me is that the, the worse the condition, the larger the river got. Right? As it gets to de- the desert and then to the Dead Sea, the river was getting deeper and deeper. Where grace is needed more, there is more grace because it's an unending flow from the temple of God. And it turns a place of desert to a place of life where trees are growing. And it says that these trees have no season. The leaves never turn brown and fall. And there is always fruit on these trees. And the trees give leaves that are are good for healing. The idea is continual fruit and continual, never-ending healing. That's what this river brings to the desert. If you're in a desert place, the grace of God will bring fruit and healing to your life. And then it gets to the Dead Sea, a sea where fish cannot be because it's too dead. There's too much salt in the water. And if this, this is in the millennial reign, I believe this is a spiritual temple, a spiritual representation, but it is also a real place that will be in the future where God will create on earth. If this is in the millennial reign, rain, we know that the Dead Sea and all of the water in the world had been turned to blood, so this river would have healed all the water and gotten rid of the blood that came during the tribulation. Either way, what this river does, this flowing water, it heals the Dead Sea so that it can be teeming with fish and that they're able to catch the fish and lay them out to dry. You see, the river of grace brings fruit, it brings healing, and it brings multiplication, I believe. So with the teeming with life, there's things happening. It's amazing. How many of you want that? Like, how many of you would like to see healing in your life? Would like to see fruit in your life? Would like to see multiplication? Like, the like Bible says that we're fishers of men, right? So... In grace, there will be fruit of fishing for men. Like to see multiplication happen in our church would be fantastic. All these things don't come of our effort, our ideas, our brainstorming. It comes from grace and us just simply going deeper into it. That's what I want. But every part of our life, we need grace. But we have to get past the fear That comes with it. How many of you have seen the movie Passengers? It's a pretty good movie. I feel like no one's seen the movie. Anybody seen the movie? Anybody? Okay. In the movie, uh, what's the actress's name? Uh, Jennifer Lawrence is uh, swimming in this pool. And they're on a spaceship. And it's the coolest pool I've ever seen, even though it's not real. Uh, There's this pool. And at the end of the pool, there's like a glass bubble that... You swim and you're over like space in the spaceship. Like, so you just see all the stars and everything, but you're in water looking over. And so it's an amazing pool. There's a couple scenes where she's swimming in the pool. But then there's this point where she's swimming in the pool and the ship loses gravity. They have an artificial gravity in the ship. And as she's in the pool, it loses gravity. So what happens is the water basically in the pool lifts up and turns into a giant bubble of water and she's stuck in the middle, and she can't get out of the water, and she dies. I'm just kidding. <laughs> she doesn't die. So something that was so... <laughs> Spoiler alert now. <laughs> Such a good movie. That's the end. She'd just float around in space forever in a bubble. Uh, no, so in this movie, we see this amazing pool, the most beautiful pool, like, you're able to swim to this bubble part and look at space. Like, how amazing is that? The coolest thing I've ever seen. That's why she was swimming. In it. It's awesome. But at the same time, just a slight change in the circumstances, just a slight change in the atmosphere, and it became something that was terrifying. Right? Now, she swims later. Like, she gets freed, and the gravity's working later and everything, and she swims to the pool again which, you know, is brave because I would be paranoid that the gravity was shut off again and, you know, you would die in this water bubble floating around. Um, there is something both amazing about water and terrifying about water. The ocean is fantastic. Anybody agree? Like, you go to the ocean, you're sitting on the beach, it's great. It's my wife's favorite place in the world is just to sit on the beach and look at the waves to be in the water. Like, it's amazing, isn't it? Not in Texas. There's like maybe one beach that's okay in Texas. The rest are pretty awful. Uh, but if you get deeper and deeper into the ocean, doesn't it become pretty terrifying? Like we love, we absolutely love the beach, but I personally am terrified of the ocean. Like if you were to just drop me off in the middle of the ocean without a, a boat or a life preserve, I would, I would die just of fear <laughs> and did just drown because if I can't see land, like, that's, that's horribly terrifying. Um, I went on a cruise once. The whole time I just kept imagining scenes from Titanic. <laughs> like, I really enjoyed the cruise. But whenever I would, like, have, like, a surreal moment think, like, I can't see land. <laughs> it was terrifying to think about that. Because if the ship is going down, like, I'm dead. No hope. There's both something amazing about water and terrifying about it. Aquaphobia is a very common fear. Most people who suffer from aquaphobia are a terrifying fear of water, especially open bodies of water. Um, It happens because they had a near um, death or a near drowning experience, especially when they were young. Um, I was reading a story of a guy who, when he was 11 or 12 years old, uh, had a a drowning experience, and he was brought back, you know, they um, gave him CPR and all that, and he was, he was fine, but ever since then, he was absolutely terrified of any sort of open water or deep water, rightfully so, right, and, and they were talking about this guy who teaches people to overcome their fear, and to be able to swim in the ocean, and swim in, in deep rivers, and things like that, And this guy uh, was trained by this guy to overcome his fear, and he ended up doing this huge, long ocean swim with his daughter, um, even though he, at first, was terrified of the idea of doing something like that because um, what happens with fear is when it goes unanswered, it actually gets worse. When when you don't address your fears, your anxieties, they, they don't stay the same. They increase in anxiety and in fear. So people who were scared of water, every time they're anxious about water, it actually fuels their fear. Every time they're near it, they're, they're fueling that fear, and it gets worse and worse and worse. So much so that where people can get so terrified of water, like even a bath could be scary to them. Things like that. So this guy had this terrifying fear of water that had never been addressed until his 12-year-old daughter wanted to do this long swim. And he decided he wanted to finally conquer his fear and do it with her. And so this guy would take them, and they would, they would start by just being in, like, the kiddie part of the pool where it's just a foot, and they would just practice putting their whole body. And then a few classes later, they would put their face in the water they would, they would always hold somebody's hand. Eventually, they're not holding anybody's hands. They're in the water. Eventually, they get to the deep end. Eventually, they go to an open body of water like a river, and then eventually to like an ocean. They work them up through it to conquer this fear. But the only way to conquer the fear is to get in the water. The only way to conquer the fear of the water is to go a little deeper and get a little more used to it, to become comfortable with it so that you can enjoy it and stop fearing it. There is something both terrifying about water and amazing about water. How many of you, this is, that's a stupid question, all of you have probably heard the song Amazing Grace. Uh, Newton, who wrote that song, he wrote that song when he was a slave trader on a ship, and they were in the midst of a storm, and he thought he was going to die. It was after this experience that he wrote the song. And in that experience, he was a slave trader. Um, He was at one point a Navy deserter. So think about this guy is a racist slave trader who is also a deserter. So he's got no honor or loyalty. He said in his writings that he actually, before he found Christ, before he was saved, actually thought it was his life goal to tempt others and seduce them from God. Whenever he would meet somebody who followed God, he made it his goal to seduce them away from it, to put sin in their life so that they would come away from God. So he was a God-hater, racist, slave-trader, no honor, no loyalty. And he's on this ship, and they're in the midst of a storm. And he said what came to mind was a scripture that his mom made him memorize. And it was a scripture that terrified him his entire life. And in that moment, on that boat, when he thought he was going to die, this verse came to mind. It's Proverbs 126. I, in turn, will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind." When trouble and stress overcome you, then they will call me, but I won't answer. They will search for me, but won't find me, because they hated knowledge, didn't choose to fear the Lord, were not interested in my counsel, and rejected all of my correction. It's an intense verse. This is what his mom had to memorize when he was a child. (laughs) You know, it wasn't Jesus loves you, this I know, right? Like, it was like, hey, if you go to a certain point in your life where you keep rejecting God, eventually God's going to reject you. That's what his mom had to memorize. And that's what came to mind when he's on this boat in a storm. This verse comes to mind about a storm that tells him that when he calls out, God's not going to hear him because he doesn't fear the Lord and doesn't respect the Lord and doesn't want the Lord's counsel. And that created fear in him, a fear of God that led to his salvation. If you look at the very famous lyrics of Amazing Grace, you see that he puts this in here. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. He's saying the grace that taught him to fear God was the grace that is so sweet. But it also relieved him of every other fear in the world. When we start fearing God, all other fears go away. When we see how powerful he is, how great he is, how strong he is, and we Humble ourselves before him saying, God, I am nothing in comparison to you. I have nothing to offer you. And we have that healthy, reverent fear and respect of who God is. It's grace that teaches us to fear him. But in that, it is the sweet grace that also we receive love and mercy and and joy and peace. Isn't that powerful? And it says that all the other fears were gone. Grace relieved him of all other fears, and he only feared one thing, and that was God. It's powerful. He repented of his sins. He actually became a huge advocate against slavery after he received the Lord. And he became a man who wrote very famous songs, one in particular, one of the most famous worship songs of all time. God used a horrible man to do great things but it was because grace taught him to fear God, not the world. We're, we are, there's, this, there's this healthy tension in Scripture where we are to fear God, but also have comfort and love that we receive from him as a father. He's the all-powerful, sovereign creator of the world who, the Bible says, holds your br- breath in his hand. Your heart is beating, your lungs are moving because of his grace and his power right now which he holds in your hand in his hand but he's also a loving father who loves you dearly who wants the best for you there's a healthy tension there and sometimes you know we go too far into the fear side and we neglect the love and mercy that god so freely gives but then we go to this love side and what happens is we preach love 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 do whatever you want god will forgive you and then we forget no you need to fear him he hates your sin he hates sin. He can't be in the presence of it. That sin has made you enemies with him. Take it seriously. Weep of your, over your sin. Repent of your sin. Turn to him. There's a healthy tension. We can't go too far on either side. Otherwise, otherwise we lose that healthy tension. We need the love. We need to preach about the love. We can't only preach about love. We also have to preach that he is the all-powerful sovereign king who hates sin but loves you and wants you to turn from it. Amen? Amazing grace. He, he shows us this, that grace taught him to fear. The invitation from the man in the vision, Jesus, Jesus, Ezekiel was to come deeper and Ezekiel did go deeper and what he found was fruit, healing and multiplication he sees all of the amazing things that this river brings and what I love about what I love about verse 6 is he tells him have you been watching son of man are you paying attention Are you seeing what I'm trying to show you here? I think that Jesus would say that to each one of us. Have you been watching, son of man? Are you paying attention? I need you to pay attention right now. I think Jesus would say that to every single one of us in this room. Would you please pay attention to what I'm trying to teach you here? This river is a river of grace that only brings good. Stop fearing it and jump in headfirst. Instead of being like nine-year-old me who couldn't experience the joys of high dives, now I love jumping off of tall stuff into large bodies of water. It's fantastic. I got over that fear. I think a lot of us are stuck on the diving board or stuck in the kiddie pool of grace. And Jesus is like, are you paying attention? Come deeper. I know that confession is, is hard. I know that repentance seems impossible with that sin that you've struggled with your whole life, would you just pay attention and come deeper into grace? The invitation is to come deeper. Deeper. The exhortment is to pay attention to what he's teaching us. I have three application points that we'll go over. One is, don't pass the blame. James 1.14 says, but each person is tempted. We know that, right? Each person is tempted. Anybody in here have been tempted recently? Only three of you? (laughs) Each person is tempted. But it says that when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James says we're all tempted. But it leads to sin, not because of the temptation, but because of your evil desire. Don't pass the blame. There's sin in your life because you put it there. It's not the temptation's fault. It's not Satan's fault. It's not demon's fault. The sin in your life is there because you have put it there. You have chose it. The things you struggle with are there because you allowed them in your life, and they got worse and worse and harder and harder, and you became addicted to them. And that's why it feels overwhelming. That's why that temptation seems stronger than you. It's because you've given yourself to it. When I know that to be true, preaching myself here. We can't pass the blame. When he wrote, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He didn't pass the blame. He realized that I am a sinner. I am the one who is in need of Jesus Christ. I am the wretch. And grace saved me. He didn't pass the blame for his sin. He recognized that it was his sin, his choices, the sin that he knew. And James tells us that we are led away by sin when we are enticed by our own desires. Which leads me to my second point. Transformation doesn't change temptation. It changes you. Maybe that seems obvious to some of you. Maybe not. Grace in your life, When Jesus starts transforming you, and we're being sanctified, and we're becoming more obedient, and we're becoming more Christ-like, the transformation that grace is doing in our life is not changing the circumstances around us, and it's not changing temptation that we face. It is changing us. We're the ones being transformed. There will always be temptation. Jesus was tempted by Satan himself. I don't think any of us have been taint, uh, tempted by Satan himself. But we are tempted. Temptation is all around us. For us to walk in, in a pure life, to be more and more Christ-like, it is not to get rid of temptation, it is to be changed from the inside. Grace changes us. It doesn't change the circumstances around us. There will always be bad days, and there will always be a good reason to sin. Right? The sins that become addicting are comfort sins. The sins that have the largest hold on your life are comfort sins. They give you some kind of emotional high that comforts you in the moment but leaves you with guilt for years. Those are the sins that hold on to us, but we're really the ones holding on to it, aren't we? The sins that are there with us that we feel guilty about, or the sins that we have chosen because we get some sort of maybe comfort from it, some sort of pleasure. For that temptation to not seem so strong, it's not about changing the temptation, it's about you being changed by the grace of God. The grace would teach you to fear god a little more to have a healthy fear of god going he hates this he hates this he hates my sin i should fear that i should want what he wants for my life instead so we repent in romans twelve two it says and do not be conformed to this world are we guilty of that to be conformed to this world i know i have been many times in my life guilty of being conformed to the world But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul wants you to start choosing good things, acceptable things, and perfect things. But he says for that to happen, you have to be transformed. Your mind has to be renewed. You have to start thinking about things different. And when you do, you're able to see what the will of God is for your life and to start choosing those things and rejecting sin. So maybe it's time we pray a prayer like David in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do you need to pray that? Do you need to pray to the Lord, renew me, give me a clean heart, change me, transform me? see, when we're transformed, temptation is not so tempting. Because we, our evil desires are being changed into good desires. So when temptation comes up, we just go, I don't want that anymore. That doesn't appeal to me the way it did before. And we're being changed. My third point is a full belly is your best friend. That's true in all cases, right? <laughs> Food is good. And uh, we all like to have a full belly. But the Bible often talks of grace as something that we consume. Paul said in Philippians that we are partakers of grace. Right? Think about what it means to be fulfilled. Right? We all want to be fulfilled in our lives. That's the idea of consuming, of partaking. And for us to be truly fulfilled, we need to be partaking of grace, consuming it. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the, the eternal water, the water of life. He says all these things. And the invitation is always to what? Consume. A full belly is your best friend. When you're just consuming grace, when you're consuming his goodness, his love, his mercy, you're in relationship with him, you're partaking of Jesus, you got a full belly. And so when other unhealthy foods pop up, (laughs) when sin pops up, you're like, I'm already full. I don't need that. I'm eating the good bread, the bread of life. I'm drinking the good water, the water that will give me eternal life. I don't need that. A full belly is our best friend. So the invitation is to come deeper into the water, to drink the water, to get full on the water, to be transformed by the water, to allow Jesus to teach you to fear God but to also have a loving relationship with him. That's what God wants for you. That's what this river is all about. In Revelation 22:17 it says the spirit and the bride say this is the holy spirit and Jesus, and the church. It says, In the Spirit and the Bride, say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This is how the Bible ends. The last chapter, almost the last verse. You know what the Bible ends by saying? It says, come on and partake. Come on and drink. Come and be fulfilled. Come and be transformed. And there's no price. It's free. Just like our app. (laughs) (laughs) It's free. You don't have to work for it. Just jump into it with faith. Isn't that awesome? We were not saved by work so that any man could boast. You don't have to work for it. It's free grace that he gives freely. And then we sit there going, it's scary. I don't want to confess. This sin that makes me feel so guilty feels good for the first 10 minutes. Church, it's time to repent. To realize that he has something that is so much better than what the world is offering you. And to come deeper and to partake more. Let's, let's dive in head first. Today we will be partaking of communion. Partaking. Jesus gave us this symbol to remember him by. But it's also a, it also preaches a message to us about grace to partake. Doesn't it? And So worship team, if you, you can come up. We're going to be partaking of communion today. I'm going to be reading here from Luke 22:19. 19. This is Jesus with his disciples. This is at the Last Supper. This is the first institution of the Lord's Supper, which Jesus gave to the disciples and to all of us as the church to do in remembrance of him. And he took the bread, and when he gave it, when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. It represents the grace. It represents the mercy and forgiveness that came through the cross. What Jesus did for you to offer you a free gift so that you could have eternal life. Restoration to the relationship with the Father that was intended for all of humanity. We do this in remembrance of the grace that is already there. And so today, I would, I would say the invitation from me, but more importantly, the intent, invitation from the Spirit and from Jesus is to partake and to come deeper into the water. Do you need grace in your life? I do. Have a moment today as we partake of communion. As the band is singing, you can come up at your own time. Take the cup and the bread, take it back to your own table. Don't just dive in. Have a moment and say, Lord, I, I need this to represent something to me right now. Lord, I need this to mean something to me right now. I wouldn't take this lightly, that I would realize what this represents, and that I would experience, as Alan was saying earlier, that we'd experience something new today. If you need new grace, like you need more of it, that this moment in communion, in remembrance would be a moment where you can repent, be refreshed, be healed, to start seeing fruit in your life, whatever it is that you need to see in your life, whatever it is that grace needs to bring, that it would be a moment this morning where that can happen. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your Son. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, taking my sin and everyone's sin in this room. Lord, I pray that we would we would worship, we would partake of communion and we would receive your grace this morning. Going deeper, partaking of it more, not being content with a ankle, kiddie pool, but that we would go deep and let you take us down the river to the trees of healing and fruit, Lord. That we would be absolutely transformed from the inside out.